Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. This podcast contains discussions of child abuse, sexual repression and sexual abuse, suicide, racism, misogyny, PTSD and PTSD symptoms, and spiritual oppression and abuse, including guilt, shame, and fear. In most episodes, we will be mentioning some of these concepts in a general way without any graphic detail. If any of these topics or other triggering topics will be mentioned in great detail, we will let you know at the beginning of each individual episode, as well as in the show notes for that episode. Welcome back to the Leaving Eden podcast, and my name is Gabrielle Hakoen, and I am here with my co-host. Hi, I'm Sadie Carpenter, and you have questions, apparently, so I've got answers. That's right. We are here today to talk about Sadie's life in the IFB cult, Independent Fundamental Baptist cult. We seek to educate and to inform our listeners about the danger of this cult and other cults, and the danger that they pose to society as a whole, and to promote freedom of mind, freedom of thought, and freedom of religion. And today we are here to answer your questions, which you have been sending to us. And apparently Gavi wants to be that guy on the end of the radio commercials who has to you mean read the everything Mitsubishi off. Guy? You have to read everything off super fast. Yeah. Oh, at the, um, at the end, I'm telling you what the side effects for your, uh, right. for your drugs are. Right. I, think, no. <laughs> I feel like you're training to be that guy or are you just really excited about this episode? I am really excited about this episode. You know, we just recorded... Well, that's nice. uh, yeah, uh, so you you guys all know that we we don't record these episodes all at the same time to go out in order. Like, so uh, we just recorded the one where we talked about Paul Simon's Graceland, and that was like one of my favorite episodes that we have ever 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 recorded. Just because a I love that music so much, b the conversation we had about it was really deep, insightful, vulnerable, powerful, wonderful. Yeah, that was a super vulnerable episode, and um. Kind of on that vein, I have a couple 
I know you you usually have like our business before we get into our episode, and now it's th- this week. I'm the one who has like things I have to bring up. Please do. Um, number one, we have been getting so many messages, like Facebook comments, Facebook messages, Instagram messages, Twitter DMs from people who listen to the podcast, which is four or five times a day. Yeah, and that's like that's on our joint social media for the podcast, and I get a lot on my personal social media as well, um, like people who. Like used to know me, maybe went to uh, to Hiles Anderson with me, but we fell out of touch. Like those kind of people tend to get on my personal socials. So I get a lot of messages. <laughs> um, I am still able to get back to everybody at this point, but I do sometimes miss messages or I'll have so many that it like going through all the messages and getting back to people takes me a couple days at this point. So I just wanted I, – I don't want anybody to feel like you can't reach out to me or can't reach out to us on our our podcast social media uh, because we honestly – we do love hearing from every single person that reaches out to us. I love hearing from every person that reaches out to me. Um, some people have just been so vulnerable and sent me these beautiful messages about what they're going through or, or what their journey out of the IFB has been like. And I appreciate everyone and I do not want you to stop sending me messages. We absolutely love to see this stuff coming we, from you guys. I, I honestly, truly do. I just want you to know that if you send me a message on a Monday and I don't get back into don't get back to you until Thursday or Friday, it's not because I don't want to talk to you. It's because <laughs> I'm having a baby next month and I get a lot of messages. And yes, yes, yes. So at this point, my it takes me a couple of days to get to people sometimes. Who knows? You know what? If if you take if you take that time off and you're not bothering with any, I might start responding to these people's messages and being like, "Oh, you certainly can." I usually try to sign stuff <laughs> like I, I like tell him saying like clearly like a really emotional message meant for you. I'm just like, "Sucks to suck." No. Oh my god! Please <laughs> no, don't. No, that's do that. not what I would do. <laughs> please please like, only do that to me. I'm the one who signed up for this. Yeah, I'd be like, "Oh man, that's not cool at all." <laughs> like. Right, like the kind that of responses response. that I get on air. <laughs> yeah, you'd be like, you'd be like, I uh, and like we got one where I, I don't want to go into specifics about somebody's personal story on air, but you know, somebody like this, this pastor did this terrible thing, and that really scarred me for life. I'm like, well, shit, that fucking sucks. Like, <laughs> that would be my response. Like, I mean. <laughs> right like but like um so if you get a if you get a message back and it seems slightly disrespectful that probably wasn't me i signed my messages with my initials so you know who it was um <laughs> i also signed my messages um oh have you started with a poop yours? emoji no <laughs> good lord what is no i like look the point is the point is like I, if, if it's something like really like vulnerable and powerful i'll like read it and then i'll just leave it to sadie to yeah, respond to that because me that's usually like hey you yeah. got a you got a message on facebook Go check it. Yeah. Regardless, but we love seeing the we like love, we love getting, your stories. We love getting messages. Please don't stop sending them. Just be aware that if I take a couple of days to answer you, it's not because I hate you um, or because I didn't want to get your message. It's just because I get a lot of messages at this point. Yeah. Yep. Um, mm. So that that's it. I just wanted to, to kind of clear that up because uh, I don't know. The Lord laid it on my heart to say that. <laughs> And on that same I'm vein, getting mileage of, out of that joke this week. <laughs> yeah, that oh, that is a great joke though. On that same vein though, um, in the spirit of listener participation of of us really trying to to 
identify with the people that listen to our show and identify with our fans. We have a very special episode and that we've been talking about doing for a while. So we know our listeners have been begging us to do this for a while. We are for the first time ever doing a Q and a episode. So listeners have been sending us messages using various means of contacting us. We've been getting emails, Instagram and Twitter DMS, uh, questions that are asked to us in our Facebook group. Um, some of these are questions, you know, from people that were raised in the IFB, you know, they're asking about, Oh, I, I dealt with this. Uh, did you deal with this? And some of them are from people that are outside who are asking very specific questions about the culture, something that they haven't been exposed to something that we haven't had a chance to go into. So this is fun for us because we love to see this sort of listener engagement. Um, you know, and we really love identifying with you guys and really, you know, it makes us feel really good when we're making something and people are really like, I, I, I feel strongly enough about this to want to ask more questions about it. Um, and we're really excited to answer all of your questions. Yeah. I'm excited to get to these questions. Um, a lot of these I've gotten into in short form on the Facebook group or in messages. And I'm going to give you more detail in this episode. Yeah, and only like so, one-tenth or one-twentieth of our fans or something are actually in the Facebook group. So this is for everybody. Right. And then other th others of these questions I'm seeing for the first time or answering for the first time. So very exciting. Um, the one other thing I wanted to say before we get into questions, I realize that you all really, 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 really want an episode on how to break the script of a door-to-door -door soul winner. I've been putting off doing this episode um, just because I think I have to make a flow chart. <laughs> <laughs> or two to like properly explain this i'm gonna have to put push my like flow charts and you get the flow chart you hang it by your door like right <laughs> oh, wait, no, they should no they should give it out like if if you buy a mezuzah they give you a flow chart for free so yeah like people come up to you they're like oh jewish people live here okay let's go knock on their door oh well you got the mezuzah here's your flow chart to how to deal with like it's just forward thinking I'm a genius. I should package those together and sell them. I will make millions. I will be able to finance my kosher cognac. You know what? I, I totally support you doing that. I um, totally support me doing that too. Leaving Eden LLC. We're going places. Gonna no, be, we're gonna, uh, I, I mean, I feel like a print of that would sell as merch. I think it'd be pretty yeah. funny. We um, have The thing is, we always have irons in the fire. Never count us out. They make podcasting illegal. We'll switch to, I don't know, we'll go on to, to Clubhouse. God, and, who the f*** is going to make podcasting illegal? I don't know. Biden uh, won. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. No. Oh my god. Okay. Yeah. Uh, no, I know. Like jokes aside, I know you guys really, really want an episode on how to break the script. Um, I am gonna officially promise you that I'll make that one of the first episodes after I come back from maternity leave. So, I know you really, really want it. It's gonna be a lot of work for me, so I've kind of been putting it off. But um, it's really exciting. Knowing I'm that you want it so much, I will. I'll commit to doing it. Uh, it's one of the first knowledge. Couple. I mean, I know it is. Um, the other thing I know that you're dying to hear about Stephen Anderson and Faithful Word Baptist Church, and then also about the Vision Forum. And we haven't set a date for either one of those. I don't know what any of those things are. It, it, uh, Stephen Anderson is. Uh, oh my oh, god! Is he you the were Anderson gonna... and Hiles Anderson. Oh no 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 no! That's Russell Anderson. Stephen Anderson is the pissing preacher. He did an entire sermon about how 
you are, if you're a man, you are not right with God unless you stand up to pee. Okay, I thought that we were, I thought, you no, know, th- like, no. that, that we were talking about like an R. Kelly situation pissing preacher. No, I'm sorry. Uh, he didn't. Int- like, knowing that we've got David Hiles in here, you know Ugh. what? That wouldn't surprise Jeez. me. So. No, he's got an entire sermon. That's That was like what he became famous for, but there's a lot more to his story. Um, and people really want us to do an episode about him. Okay, but if you sit down, but if you stand up to pee, then you might drop your phone in the toilet when you're looking at it. I assume that's the case. But yeah, I mean, maybe he's problem. against maybe he's against cell phones, too. I don't know. We're going to what I what I wanted to say about Stephen Anderson. I'm acknowledging that we've heard these requests. Those are two of the most requested episodes are Stephen Anderson and the Vision Forum. Want to let you know that we hear you and that uh, while we haven't set a date for those ones, uh, we will make sure to get to those. Uh, oh, 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 I have two corrections and then we can jump into some questions. Let's go for it. Number one, on a recent episode, uh, I referred to the rectangle in the top left of a flag, like the blue part of the American flag, as a yardarm. But I was watching Jeopardy a few weeks after that episode aired, and I learned that the proper term is canton. A yardarm is part of a flagpole. The canton is the blue part in the American flag. Rest in peace to Alex Trebek. Yes. um, I don't, I just, it's been bothering the hell out of me ever since i ever since i found out that i made a a basic mistake like that and i was like i have to fix it and see that's how you know that all of the information in this podcast is 100 right because she will go back and like i can't stand it i literally can't stand (laughs) she can't stand inaccuracy so i have been lying awake at night like yard arm how did i get that wrong um Second, at one point, this one's a little more serious. I said that James Dobson, the founder of Focus on the Family, was not a doctor of anything, referring to his doctorate degree. I was under the impression, this is not a Dr. Jill Biden situation. I was under the impression that he only held honorary doctorate degrees. But I was actually very wrong. Dr. Dobson holds a PhD in psychology and child development from USC, which he earned in 1967. It is a legitimate degree in psychology from a very legitimate university. I still think James Dobson is harmful and absolutely full of but he does hold a legitimate PhD, and I was wrong, so now I have corrected myself. Okay, we got two corrections there. There we go. Cool. We're real journalists. No, we're not. And that's it. No, we are real journalists. We report on things. I don't think you have to have a license for that. No, you mean like a license to preach from the Methodist Church, like Sheffy did? <laughs> yes. Okay, so I'm gonna so, let's get into uh, these questions. Like let's get into me, these questions. Sorry, I just I had to rattle off all of that stuff because it's all been on my mind. Uh, would okay. you like to ask me some questions from our listeners? Yes, let's get right to it. Um, okay. okay, so first question: This uh, I was asked in our Facebook group. The question is: So, how does the IFB feel about prayers to the dead or prayers to saints? So this is a question about um, kind of the differences between the IFB and Catholicism. This is going to be fun. The, the answer is that the IFB does believe in the concept of intercessory prayer, but not in the same way as what Catholics call intercessory prayer. So will you say what kind of prayer are you talking about? Oh. I've never heard this term before. So uh, this, it's the same root word as intercede. The basic concept of intercessory prayer is that it's one person praying for another person. So if I pray and I say, dear God, please 
bless my friend Gavi. Please give him a wife and please let it be Alana Heim. Then I have made an intercessory oh, yes. prayer on your behalf. Like I prayed. Okay, I, I, that's an intercessory prayer. Okay. So uh, you're pra- so it's basically praying on behalf of somebody else. Right. Uh, most Christian groups use this idea that you that you should and can pray for the well-being of your fellow human beings in a, a specific way. Whether you're praying for, um, like in an IFB world, you pray a lot for, you know, you might be praying for your family members to get saved, like your family members who are not IFB to become IFB. Um, but you could also be praying for, you know, if I know you have a job interview and I say a prayer for your job interview, that's an intercessory prayer as well. But okay. different groups within Christianity use the term very differently. Um, Catholics, like most Christians, believe that living Christians can and should pray for each other for our job interviews and for our, you know, getting into college and for happiness and and well-being and, and for our fellow humans to be provided for. But Catholics also believe that you can pray for the souls of those who are dead and even more common than that. And what the person is asking about for this in this question is the Catholic practice of asking those who are already in heaven to pray, to intercede for those of us who are still living. Um, the huh. most, ex- like the biggest example of this would be the Hail Mary. So the Hail Mary is, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. So you're saying pray for us. Please, pray Mary, us. you pray, you pray for us. So right. it's not, okay. So the, the, in that prayer, you, you don't ask Mary to take you to heaven. You ask Mary to ask God to take you to heaven. It's like, it's a prayer. So a part of this is like the definition of the word prayer. In the original sense of that word, anytime you ask anyone for something, you are praying. Pray just means to ask. Um, in the Hail Mary, we pray or we ask Mary to intercede for us before God. The idea is that Mary did God a pretty huge favor by bringing his son into the world. And that if she asks God to give her a favor and answer our prayer, that he will be happy to give her that favor. So it's like asking your friend for a clubhouse invite. Yeah. Sure. Exactly. Yeah. I tell you, I posted on Twitter that I had clubhouse invites, asked if any of the people that any of my Twitter mutuals wanted a clubhouse invite. My inbox got full of people who oh. I had never seen before saying, please send me an invite to clubhouse. I'm like, I don't know you. No. <laughs> Like just ignored them all. Um, oh, that's fun. <laughs> Do clubhouses? So, Clubhouse is my sh. I so love you that app. Wouldn't make such a great saint because you wouldn't be about like if somebody asks you for something, you're like, eh, maybe, eh, no. <laughs> well, if I had infinite clubhouse invites, of course I'd give them to them. Okay, I see. But I have three clubhouse inv- like. See, that's the thing that you got to wonder. Like, if if with these saints, you know, if these saints are praying for you, how many fate? Like, how long until? God is like, you know, Mary, you've been milking that for 2000 years. Like, <laughs> like, you, I mean, Ray you did, is like, be I, so mad here. <laughs> you picked me. You like I, you did me a favor one time, <laughs> one time. And you never let me forget it for 2000 years. And now, like, you're asking me literally to intercede on something 800,000 million times a day. Like, I like I. I'm just trying to sit here. I'm trying to see what they're going to do with Game of Thrones next. Like, <laughs> I mean, I mean, I don't. Please, please, just like. I don't... 
No, but like no, you have the. I mean, your your take is irreverent as always, but you've got as the, always. But you've it's got the general. Spicy. You've got the general idea. Yeah. Catholics believe that it's not. It's not just Mary, but other saints who are in heaven can all intercede for us before God. It's not that God doesn't hear our prayers personally. It's just that there there are saints that can also like go to God with our requests. Okay. Um, so this is standard practice for Catholics, but for Baptists, this is like considered idolatry. Right. Um, and that's mostly because the IFB and other Protestants don't uh, – they have a misconception of what Catholics actually teach. So they think that Catholics worship Mary in the sense that they think that we treat her like a fourth member of the Trinity, like equal with God, which we don't. The way that Catholics see it, it's more that Mary is the most special and the most righteous human ever to live. But not oh, that she Jesus is also Jesus is 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 also um is also like fully God, so he's not technically human in the same way that Mary was. No, right. Okay, I guess I right. guess Jesus is a member of the Trinity. Jesus is God incarnate, God in human flesh. Mary is not God in human flesh or, or a part of the Trinity, like which She's is just like a the human Godhead. who is very blessed. The most blessed, the most special, the most extraordinary human ever to live. Okay, I'm learning about theology now. I didn't know any of this stuff. But she's not a god or a part of God. Like not in the sense that Jesus is. And and IFB and Baptist um and, and other Protestants tend to think that we think that there that God has four parts and that one of them is Mary. And that's not really that's not what Catholics teach um at all. That Catholics teach okay. the same Trinity that, that other Christians do. Um the answer to that question though, because of the differing definitions of the word pray, like pray does not mean you're talking to God. Pray means you're asking anyone for anything. Uh, and because of the misunderstanding about worshiping Mary or worshiping other saints, uh, the IFB and other Protestants sometimes think that prayers to saints are idolatry because we are they they think that Catholics are worshiping something other than God. Okay, so you, I want to see get how that's a misconception, the, though. Yes, yeah. That, so that makes perfect sense. That it's just like you guys have the same words; they mean different things. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. 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 I get and you. And people I get like you. to I misrepresent what that. the other side means when they use that word. Right. So they're being intentionally disingenuous. Like they're they're being disingenuous about what other people believe, so that they can say they're wrong because they believe this, even though they don't actually believe this. It's the same argument that's used against me every time I get into a Twitter beef. They say, "Well, you don't agree with this. Well, that means you must agree with this, and therefore you're an idiot and terrible." Like. Right. But it's mimetic. So um, a lot of I, I perceive that people within the IFB actually think that Catholics worship Mary. Like I thought that for years. I, and then you it's, found it's not out that, that I was don't. intentionally wrong. It's just that that was what how, I was told. So I think that how old were you when you found out that wasn't true? Oh, gosh. Uh, at least 17, 18, 19, maybe older. Interesting. Interesting. And how did you feel about that? Do you be like, oh, I've been wrong all my life. Like, what the hell? I had to really dig into it because I was told. So I was told, you know, I believed my life, my, my entire life that Catholics worship Mary. And then there came a point where I was told, oh, that's not actually true. And then I was, I didn't want to be wrong again. So then I read a lot and studied and tried to access more information 
like we talked about in the Graceland episode. Not knowing things is a huge, yeah, okay. Before I locked myself into another opinion, I wanted to make reasonably sure that I had the right opinion this time. Hmm. Okay, that's that's really good. That's that's really interesting. That's kind of the background on why uh, the IFB consider it wrong to pray to Mary or pray to saints. Okay, so uh, that's really interesting. That was that was really enlightening for me to hear because I didn't know any of that stuff. So, but I want to get into the second part of that question because the second part of the question it deals with saints. Now, I know that like we are all like familiar with the idea of saints, but I don't know the actual definition of like, what is a saint? Oh, okay. So this is another place that, that um, the IFB and most Protestants and Catholics would have different definitions and that the different definitions, the same uh, with the, with the definition of pray or the idea of worshiping Mary, uh, these differing definitions can cause confusion. So this is a good thing that we can clear up. Okay, so um, I like I know that saints are a thing that are also subject to change. Like they could be somebody who is like crucial to the faith, like somebody like Saint Peter, or they could be somebody who is massively influential throughout history and supposedly, uh, you know, had God doing work through them. So somebody like Joan of Arc, or I think a recent example of somebody being made a saint was Mother Teresa. Mm-hmm. So, so what what is the definition here that we are talking about? So, in the Catholic tradition, a saint is someone who a pope has formally recognized as a saint. Uh, it's actually a fairly lengthy process to become a saint. Um, it can take sometimes it can take hundreds of years after your death. Mother Teresa has. You're right that Mother Teresa has become a saint. Uh, fairly recently, but there have actually been quite a few since her as well. There is one super cool future saint who is, uh, he is in the process of becoming a saint right now. He is a 15-year-old boy who died in 2006 who was a computer programmer and a video gamer. Did he get the record number of kills in Fortnite? So... (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. uh, I think he he died before Fortnite. That's um, yeah. No, his name uh, okay, is- fine. A Halo Two. It would have been Halo Two. So his name is um Blessed Carlo Acutis, and he will be the first millennial saint when he is eventually made a saint. Um he is also he will also be the first saint to be recorded to be buried in Nikes. Do do you want it to like so how does somebody get to be a saint? And I'm sorry, I I, I don't mean to like make fun of him, but like, you know, I just Um he's gonna be the to, first millennial yeah. saint. I think he's probably chill. Like he seems like he's a really chill dude. Um Yeah, he's before, a video gamer. I'm sure if he was yeah. playing video games online, he heard a lot worse than that. So before he <laughs> Yeah, so before he died of leukemia at the age of fifteen. Oh, that's uh, terrible. Yeah. So Carlo mm. spent several years using his computer programming skills to make an online catalog of Eucharistic miracles. Um, so he was devoted to the the Eucharist, which is the Catholic communion, and he put there, there's a there are miracles associated with the Eucharist because of his devotion to the Eucharist. He made an online catalog of all those recorded miracles. He may end up being considered the patron saint of the internet when he is sainted. So that's like incredibly forward thinking for him, you know, especially yeah, I mean, like especially in, like what two thousand. 
Early internet. Two thousand six, I believe, is when he died. Two thousand. So he was he was doing this in like the early two thousand. Oh wow, that is incredibly yeah, he was talented. Mm-hmm. So if I were like a Catholic web developer, I would ask Saint. Uh, what did you say his name? Saint Carlo, Carlo Acutis. So I would uh, ask St. Carlo Acutis to ask God to make my code very secure and free of bugs. You absolutely could. Yeah. Okay. Wow. That makes that that makes so much sense. That's really interesting. Okay. So uh, just one clarification. So um, does somebody – is it possible to become a saint while you're alive? No. Being dead is one of the main requirements. Um, so I'm not going to get – I'm not – educated enough to get really deep into this i'm not going to but a part of being a saint is that you are considered to have completed any purgatory for any sins that you committed and to Hmm. be currently in in a sin-free existence with god in heaven so the the uh part part of when the pope puts the stamp on it and says yes you're a saint part of that is that you are considered to have achieved going to heaven i think achieved may be the wrong word but but you get what i'm saying it's like we believe that this person has has now ascended past sin and is with god in heaven Okay, so like I mean, of course. So if you're going to be in heaven with God, you have to be dead. <laughs> like they they have to like they have to be like asking for some, and they can't be asking for somebody to intercede when that person's still like hanging out in purgatory, right. trying to atone is, for the things that they've done. Right. So so you do okay. have to be dead. It's considered like a super fast track to sainthood if you are if you become a saint less than twenty years after you've died. Right, because even if you're like a really good, good person, really then good. you're still gonna you're still gonna like have some time in purgatory, probably. Is um, that true? Yeah, yeah. Um, there, there is one notable case of somebody who was considered a saint almost right off the bat, but I'm I can't remember who it is. Um, okay, so like even Mother Ter- Mother Teresa, they didn't do it until like twenty years after she died, and she's like supposed to, she's like seen as like one of the the most like. Uh, uh, good people. Yeah, even you know, though I'm not sure if I agree with that estimation, but that's not for that's not a question for this podcast. You know, today. I haven't I um I, there, I haven't read about this, but okay. Uh, there is there are questions on um whether she treated the HIV patients in her uh in in the shelters that she had, whether she treated them equitably or whether she didn't. Um, there is there's a lot that's not clear. I do think she I, I do think it's likely that she had a good good intentions. Uh, I do also think it's likely that she was less than ethical, perhaps on accident. I again, I'm not educated enough to make a judgment call. Okay. Well, but still regardless, the Catholic Church is like she is one of she is a really great person that we believe that she made it into heaven. Mm-hmm. Um But she died in 19 the good work she did. 97. Uh, she died in 1997 and then she eventually became a saint in 2016 and that was considered super fast. Uh, Carlo Acutis died in 2006 and he is, he achieved the status of blessed, which is the last step before you become a saint, uh, in October of 2020. So he will probably be a saint in the next few years. Uh, Pope John Paul II died in 2005 and they put him on the super fast track and he became a saint just nine years later in 2014. And I think John Paul II was one of the first, one of the fastest ever to become a saint after death. Okay. So what are the other criteria? Like, do you have to be uh, like just 
Is it just like, okay, this was a really good person who was a devout Catholic? So there are different qualifications. Um, If you are martyred for the Christian faith, you can get like a different track that's like a faster track. But the normal path to sainthood is that you have to be um, a devout Catholic. Your reputation for loving God and doing good has to outlive you. Um, like okay, like oh, okay. Carlo. So Carlo makes this database that's still like in existence now that they're still okay. Cool. Carlo was so devoted, right? He was so devoted to one of these uh, sacraments of the Catholic faith that even after he died, people were still like, "Oh yeah, that kid, that computer programming kid who was super into Eucharistic miracles." His reputation for his devotion to that sacrament outlived him. And then there have to be two miracles associated with you. So one of these miracles has to be associated with you literally. So either you did a miracle before you died or there's a miracle associated with your physical body or with one of your relics. So like someone touched your casket and then they were healed from a disease or like something physical, like like a physical direct connection to you. Um, The other miracle is not as strict it just it can be like somebody prayed for your intercession and then a miracle happened um like carlo's miracle one of them is that there was a woman whose child had a disease that made it hard for her child to keep food down and he had to be on a liquid diet and she prayed for carlo's intercession and then he got better and that can be considered a miracle um, okay so that's almost like so that's like proof okay he's in heaven now because he's in he's out here interceding and Right. Um, His mother also had a healthy pregnancy. So Carla was an only child and it was considered like a great trial for his parents that their only child died. But 10, I think 10 years after he died, his mother was in her 40s and had a healthy pregnancy with twins and the twins both lived. So that's considered one of his miracles as well. Interesting. His mother believes that she was able to have a healthy pregnancy and have more children because of his intercession. So you, you do have to do two miracles just to make sure that like the first one wasn't the fluke. I'm not sure if that's the reasoning, but it sounds right to me. (laughs) Okay. So like, so it seems like if somebody is a good Catholic, they could become a saint. Like, I don't want to say easily, but it's like absolutely possible that like, if you're a regular person and you do a lot of work for your church and you're a Catholic, you do a lot of work for your Catholic church and there are reported miracles performed through, like you could be a saint, even if you're just like a janitor or a line cook. Yeah. That's kind of the thing. So it's very Um, like, Oh, okay. Saints are literally just people who lived up to God's calling on their life. And God's calling could be for you to be a janitor. There's no shame in that. And there's no reason that it couldn't be. That's super interesting. Okay, so I'm guessing that the IFB views saints very differently from how the Catholic Church does. Yes. And I think like one reason I'm so fascinated with Catholic saints is because it is a, such a difference um, from how I was taught about what what even the word saint means in the IFB. So the IFB believes that saints, when that word is used in scripture, that it refers to living people who are saved and dead people who were saved and are now in heaven. So anybody who was ever saved, whether they are currently living or no longer living. Hmm. So the IFB believes that when you die, there is a judgment of your life and that nothing can be added or subtracted after that point. There is a 
hard cutoff when you die for salvation, but also a cutoff for any good or bad deeds. They do not believe that saints in heaven are able to pray for us. So they believe, the IFB would believe that people in heaven can pray. They can talk to God or they can praise God, but they can't ask God for things for people on earth because they're in heaven. So they're no longer concerned about the things on earth. Catholic theology, on the other hand, teaches us that those who are in heaven are, are very much like us on earth. And they're not only watching us and hoping for us to do well, but they're also able to hear us if we speak to them and then they can go to God with our prayers. So St. Francis is in heaven. And if I pray to St. Francis asking him to intercede for my child's health, because I know St. Francis loved children, St. Francis can go to God in person and say, hey, God, I know that you heard Sadie pray for the health of her baby that's about to be born. But I wanted to come and remind you that Sadie prayed for that. And I'm also asking, like I'm adding my request on top of hers, that you would also care for the health of Sadie's baby that's about to be born. Okay, so if we think of God as like the president, then like St. Francis would be the secretary of children's welfare or something like that. Sure. Okay. So in that analogy, if God was the president, okay, anybody could write a letter to the president and ask for something, right? Like, yeah. You could, I could, anybody could. And if the president had unlimited time and if the president lived in a realm outside of space and time and he had unlimited time and resources, he could eventually write a letter back to everybody who wrote him a letter, right? Like you don't have to be the secretary of children's welfare to speak to God. And God doesn't have to have a secretary of children's welfare to get things done. But it sure would be nice if you needed something to have the secretary of children's welfare be aware of your needs and be willing to help you out with the big guy. Does that yeah, make sense? Okay, that, yeah, that makes perfect okay. sense. Okay. So ultimately, what it comes down to is your interpretation of Hebrews 12.1, among other verses. So Hebrews 12.1 is where for saying we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. All Christians believe that, that people in heaven can like see us and are up there like cheering us on and hoping that we do good. Uh, the difference is whether they can intercede for us to God or whether intercessory prayer is only something that can be done by the living. Okay, so the IFB basically view the whole idea of saints as like false and idolatry, and especially because they recognize like they don't recognize any authority, let alone the authority of the Pope, who is like apparently the one deciding who is and isn't a saint. So they're just going to hold, uh, view the whole thing as invalid. It there there's that, but there's also the factor that they don't have the theological concept of those who are dead praying for the living in the first place. Okay. So I would say they reject it first because they don't believe it's true. And then they reject it second because it's Catholic. Yeah. And also, like, correct me if I'm wrong, but the IFB believes in a very personal relationship with God who is all powerful. So this idea that you would even need an uh, an intermediary is like a foreign concept to them entirely. Right. So the scripture verse that the IFB would quote about that is 1 Timothy 2, two five which says, uh, for there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. So they will say that to ask for someone other than Jesus to mediate between you and God is antichrist. 
Which again goes back to the idea of what we are actually asking of saints. Like the Baptists think that it's asking the saint to pray to God on your behalf because you aren't good enough or because you aren't allowed somehow to approach God on your own. When in reality, what you're saying to the saint is more like, hey, I'm asking God for this thing. I know you're also interested in this thing. Can you have my back? And can you also ask God for this thing that I need? Okay, that makes perfect sense then. Um, and I guess that, that answers that question. So, Well, I'm just I so glad we got into that, that because I, I love saints. Like that's I, a big That was thing. a really interesting answer. Um, but we have to move on to the second question. Um, so the second question was actually for me. Um, and this question was whether I knew about the IFB before I met Sadie and how significant is the presence of this if you're, if, like, you're not raised in the cult. And so the answer to this question is an absolute no. So about a year ago, when Sadie and I were coworkers at a car dealership uh, service center before COVID, we became friends because we were both fans of the Canadian progressive rock band Rush. And so we became friends. We got to talking. She told me about her upbringing. I had no idea what she was talking about with any of it. So the first time I literally heard the words independent fundamental Baptist put together, I think was after we had already started discussing like doing a podcast about it. Like she sent me a link to the Chicago magazine article about Jack Scop, and I read it. And that was like that was like when we were brainstorming what we were going to put in the first episode. And so when we recorded like the first two episodes of the, uh, of the show, we actually recorded them twice because the first two takes that we did of those first two episodes just like weren't very good. So we re-recorded them. But most notably, that I think they weren't very good because when I was asking her the questions, I legitimately had no idea what any of this stuff was so there like i wasn't able to plan what my follow-up question would be so i would i would ask her a question and then she would say something and you know how it like takes a couple of minutes before sometimes you make the connection that you need to make and then ask that like that just wasn't happening so i didn't have time beforehand to really think about it so i had never heard of the ifb i had never heard of hiles anderson college the only ifb institution that i had ever heard of was uh when i I, my freshman year of college uh some guy who uh, lived in my dorm was telling me he's like oh i heard about the strictest college ever which is bob jones university and uh, the only thing that i knew was that it was very strict and very christian and that's it Oh, my God. <laughs> Did you say Bob Jones? Yes, I said Bob Jones. That cracks me up. because <laughs> Okay, so Bob Jones is like a good step less strict than Pensacola Christian. And then Pensacola is like a, another step less strict than Hiles Anderson. Like I've gone to both Pensacola and Hiles Anderson. Uh, and I would rather spend a month at Pensacola than a week at Hiles Anderson uh, because at least Pensacola has good food. <laughs> but it cracks yeah. me up that like Bob Jones is like the strictest Christian university ever. Uh. Well, I mean, as far as cultural, like when you look at cultural awareness, like maybe I should make this clearer. I was raised in Portland, Oregon. When I was growing up, I think more than half of my friends, like more than half of the boys that I was playing with were also Jewish. Portland is very liberal and while there is a good number of religious people here, people tend to keep that private. 
Like, of course I had friends who went to church, but like around here, religion doesn't bleed into public life the same way that it does in other places in the country. I mean, because Portland is politically very liberal. And when I was in elementary school, middle school, and like early high school, the president was George Bush. And he was seen as somebody who was really pushing religion into public life. And we really didn't like how that was influencing policy for everybody because that wasn't something that we wanted to be a part of. So like this whole idea of people pushing religion into public life, we were very much against that. So like it just culturally, if you grow up in a place like Portland, that's not something that you see so much like you would see in other parts of the country. So I had a, I had no idea what my what the IFB was like my perception of evangelical Christianity in general was that like it was a minority of the country who live mostly in the South, mostly in the Midwest and they vote Republican because Republicans are trying to make Christian laws, the laws of the country. Like I remember in 2004 in Oregon, as well as in other states, George Bush was running for reelection and we really didn't like George Bush. We didn't want George Bush to be the president again. And the conservatives were putting all of these really reactionary ballot initiatives out there to try and motivate hardcore Christians to come out and vote. So in Oregon, we had a constitutional amendment to ban gay marriage, and we were really angry that that passed. So growing up, like my perception of evangelical Christianity in general was very broad, very basic. And I felt that it was an oppressive force that was trying to subjugate everybody in the country. So like a lot of people, you knew that these more hardcore evangelicals existed. But it sounds like you didn't have a concept of how large their groups really were or any concept of the different denominations and groups under the big umbrella of evangelical Christianity. Like, like I said, most of my friends growing up were Jewish or just not super religious. So evangelical Christians, I mean, that was like a blanket group. I didn't like I didn't know these people. I didn't know the difference between all of the different kinds of evangelicals that there were. I mean, yeah, I mean, I didn't know that there were different denominations because I didn't understand enough about theology to understand the nuances of different like um, I mean, and so like, yeah. Aren't you glad you met me, though? Yeah. Because, like, what would oh, you yeah. do without a deep knowledge of different Christian groups? I mean, but, like, what would I, like, I don't know. I would live my fucking life. Like, <laughs> I, no, I knew that there were, like, some kids who, like, their parents were more religious and I wouldn't want to go over to their house because they weren't allowed to have Pokemon cards. That was it. Like, yeah. I didn't know. Okay. I didn't know the, the reason behind that. It was just like, oh, they're re- really religious and they aren't allowed to have Pokemon cards. And so I'm like, okay, well, we're not going to hang out then. Yeah. I think that the back half of that question, though, was, was um, is the IFP something we would have known about if we had grown up in the Midwest or the South? Because this question also came from somebody who grew up, I think, in the PNW like you. Yeah. Um, And I had something to say about that. I think that average everyday people who are non-religious or casually religious in the South or in the Midwest – I think these people would be aware that there are those skirt-wearing Baptist people. I think maybe uh, people in those areas would see women in long skirts at the grocery store and they would know that they're some kind of religious. Uh, But they wouldn't – but, like, average people wouldn't be able to tell you, oh, yeah, that's IFB or that's apostolic or that's Pentecostal. 
like where I could look at it, somebody from, and I can tell you exactly what group of those three they're from. Um, I also think in suburban areas, people may be more aware of their local IFB congregation because of soul winning. Because odds are that they have had their door knocked on on a Saturday morning when they were hungover or they've had tracks and pamphlets left on their door. I don't. So I do think that people in a lot of areas of the country are aware that some kind of real strict Christian church is down the street. I don't think that the average person, even living in the South or the Midwest, though, would be aware of specifics. Like, for example, most people in those areas would still not know what Hiles Anderson College was. I am pretty sure that everybody in the Chicago area knows about the Indiana Church, because that's what they call it up there. Uh, I am pretty sure that everyone in Pensacola, Florida, knows that there's a strict Christian college right down the road. But... 100 miles away from Hiles Anderson. I think it goes back to being just like the rest of the country where only people who are IFB would know what Hiles Anderson is. Our next question, our, our next question of uh, this one is, uh, let's see, it says, um, so I know a lot of people have brought awareness to Hiles Anderson College for good reason, but I'm wondering if similar colleges have issues that get swept under the rugs too. I live in I live close to Crown College in Tennessee and I know that it's been popular with some fundy families. Sadie, do you have any insight about colleges that are popular in the IFB world and if they have as many issues as Hiles Anderson College? And that question was from Morgan, who specifically yeah. said we could use her name on the podcast. Um yeah. Unfortunately, I do not know of a single IFB or IFB adjacent college that I can think of that hasn't had a major abuse scandal. I do want to put this in some perspective, though, because some of these colleges have way more than others and the types of scandals can differ. Well, I mean, I remember when we were talking about your decision to leave and transfer to Pensacola. I looked up Pensacola Christian on Wikipedia and it had a story about a young a woman getting violently raped and then the school expelled her for quote unquote being a fornicator. Mm -hmm. So yeah. So these rules are like, they can't be unique to, to these issues can't be unique to Hiles Anderson. Right. And, and I read that story. I do feel inclined to believe it. Pensacola is known for institutionally just pushing things under the rug. And when some of the victims of that article said that they were told they were lying or that they were expelled for being assaulted, that does ring true to the way that I think Pensacola solves problems. So even though I don't know any of these people personally, and like, so I wasn't able to, I can't verify their story by saying, oh yeah, I know that person. Or I know someone who knows that person. Even though I don't have that, I would still be very inclined to believe these victims because their stories are plausible, they make sense, and they fit into the way that Pensacola Christian College institutionally deals with things that I experienced when I was there. Also, um, the way the college handled it was really reprehensible. They didn't commit to an investigation, which looks like you just want to cover things up, and that makes them look really guilty. That being said... I was never sexually abused at either Hiles Anderson or Pensacola, so I don't want to try to make guesses about the frequency with which sexual abuse in particular at those two institutions happens. Um, I want to leave that to people who have personal stories to tell. 
I do think that abuse in general of all kinds, just as a as a category, is more common at Hiles Anderson. Yeah, and I also would like to point out that at colleges and universities, like sweeping sexual violence under the rug, this is not an issue that is unique to Christian schools or Bible colleges. When so when I was in college, this is a story. When I was in college, uh, there was a situation. I don't want to go into details about it, but somebody who I was friends with, somebody who I was living with was the victim of a violent sexual assault. And one of the knock on effects was that she and I had to move out of our house in the middle of a semester, which was Mm -hmm. extremely difficult. Yeah, because not only did the university provide us with little to no institutional support, but when my friend decided that she was going to file a Title IX complaint against the guy who assaulted her, the school really didn't do anything to stop from essentially utilizing his fraternity connections to basically institute an intimidation campaign, you know, a campaign of character assassination. Um, and this guy, he went so far as to hire like a lawyer and a private investigator to try and dig up dirt on my friend to present at the hearing. So like this whole process that was so, supposed to be over within like 60 days took longer than six months. And it was like, the process itself was brutally traumatic by design so that she would be compelled to drop her case. Mm-hmm. But she saw it through to the end and the school ended up kicking the guy out. But then they eventually let him back in two years later after he threatened to sue them. <sighs> yeah. But like as a result of this whole process, like I didn't end up graduating college on time and I wasn't I mean, I wasn't even the one who was the victim here uh, because, you know, the private uh, liberal arts school where I went like was not set up to they did not handle sexual assaults well huh i mean that's a a terrible story oh it is a terrible story well the truth is that campus sexual assault is a problem everywhere uh at many many colleges and universities ifb or otherwise yeah um I do believe victims, period. Uh, I do think that there has to be a nationwide sweeping change in the way that we deal with this um, so that people are more safe on campus in general at any college. Uh, I know way too many people that didn't report when they were assaulted because of things like what happened to your friend, because of the total lack of institutional support and institutional responsibility. It was a travesty. I agree. And I think that that has to change. Particular to Bible colleges, though, I can tell you stories about other kinds of abuse, emotional and spiritual and financial abuse that happened to me and happened to people that I know and people that I trust and and have told me their stories at Hiles Anderson, at West Coast Baptist College, at Golden State Baptist College, at several more IFB institutions. And then on top of that, there are extremely documented, extremely credible stories from Bob Jones, Liberty University, uh, and from Pensacola, I think I think one of our Twitter followers is an advocate for victims from Liberty University, if I'm not yeah. mistaken. Yeah, and also, like, one of the problems with Bible colleges is often that they have rules that are so strict that, say, if you get assaulted, they can say, well, before the assault, you were breaking X rules, so we can kick you out anyway. Like, even if you were literally the victim of an honest-to-God felony like Mm -hmm. a violent felony, like a lock this guy up in jail for five years felony. And your biggest transgression was like breaking the dress code or something. They will make those two things into like a false equivalency. And they're like, well, from our perspective, there's two people who broke the rules here. 
you know. Right. And that's just so incredibly cruel and heartbreaking. Yeah, it's set um, up that way on purpose. Uh, that that makes me so very angry. But uh, something but that I want you wanted... know it's true. Like, you oh, know yeah, that's how they I run. I know it's true because I've seen it happen. Sure, you know. Yeah. Um, here's the thing, though. I was researching a college paper recently, and I found st- some very interesting statistics. Um, these statistics show that ministers, priests, uh, any male clergy person... Actually, those people, that group of people actually abuse children at the exact same rate as any other adult group of adult males, if not slightly lower in some areas. So like your priest or your pastor is only exactly as likely to abuse your child as your child's male teacher or male babysitter. I suppose it depends on denomination, though. Nope. Really? It's pretty much across the board, about 4% of adult males are liable to sexually abuse children. And 4%? about 4% wow. of priests, about 4% of pastors, about 4% of teachers. It is just about exactly across the board. Wow. Yeah, that blew but my I guess mind. It's how they deal with it. It's how they deal with it. That's the real problem. That is exactly what I'm saying. So if you do it once and then they catch you and then they lock you up and may and say you can't be clergy anymore, then Well, you if know, you're a teacher. That's less likely. Right. Yeah. If you're a teacher and you get caught, you lose your job and you can never teach again. But if they sweep it under the rug. If you're a priest and you get caught and you get sent to another diocese across the country, then you can reoffend. Exactly. Okay, that makes perfect sense. Okay, so it that's why it is not that a pastor is any more likely to hurt your children. It is that the church covers it up, and that makes it more likely for your child to get hurt, to encounter one of those four percent of people who are potentially dangerous to them. Interesting. That no, that, 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 that makes like, so much sense to I me. I wrote oh, like man. half of my paper about that statistic. That's a that's a brilliant um, statistic to know. Okay. So remember I told you that my paper was like twice as long as it had to be. So that's what you talked <laughs> that about. Was, okay, that wow. was like a huge a huge chunk of my paper. Yeah, the issue is not that priests abuse any more than any other person. The issue is that churches fail to hurt, to hold their clergy accountable and that clergy are moved to other places where they can hurt more people. Now, I don't have the same statistics for colleges, but it's my gut feeling that we would see a similar correlation if we did have the statistics. I don't think specifically that sexual abuse or sexual assault is more likely on the campus of a Christian college than it is on the campus of a state college. I just think it's more likely that the same abuse that happens at any college will be covered up or that the victim will be blamed at a Christian college. I do, however, this is my other caveat, I do believe that different kinds of abuse are absolutely rampant at many Christian colleges. And I think that that might be a greater statistical risk than the risk of sexual assault. Um, If someone I cared about went to Hiles Anderson this year, I would not be extremely worried about them being sexually assaulted or sexually abused. I would be much more worried about them being malnourished than being worked to exhaustion, being financially abused, spiritually abused, emotionally abused, or brainwashed. Because that is more common at some of these Christian institutions. 
Yeah, one last uh, uh, thing that I wanted to say uh, before we wrap up on this question is that if you are looking at a college university or your child is looking at a college or university and the rec- and you ask the recruiters, uh, what's the deal with uh, sexual violence here? And the recruiters are saying, oh, this school is very safe. We had zero sexual assaults for the last four years. Run run 1000 miles in the opposite direction because that doesn't mean that they had zero assaults that means that they had zero punishment for any predators that means that they're lying to you that means that they mm-hmm. that they do not have a process for holding these people accountable and that's that a lot can happen in the next 3 years like a chatbot maybe your new best friend but what won't change needing health insurance united healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hey, Gavrielle here. If you enjoy the Leaving Eden podcast, head over to our Facebook group, Eden Exodus, where you can talk to other fans, ask us questions, and share memes. That's facebook.com slash Eden Exodus. You can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash Leaving Eden podcast, and you'll get access to extended and uncensored episodes. You can also support our show by recommending it to your family and your friends. The Leaving Eden podcast is a fully independent podcast, and we really appreciate your support. And now, back to the show. Next question. Okay. Whew. Okay, let's go. Okay, so the next question. So if the IFB children are raised to be either pastors, assistant pastors, or missionaries, who fills the collection plate and pays their salaries? Surely there must be a large pool of congregants with uh, quote unquote outside jobs that can bring money into the church community, right? Can a boy growing up IFB decide to be a plumber, for example? So to answer this question, we just have to pull together some concepts that we've talked about in different episodes and package them all up together. So first, we want to think about the call to preach episode from last week. We talked about how getting called to preach is all but mandatory in the IFB and how IFB children are guilt tripped very hard into going into full time ministry work. These children are told, um, you were so lucky to grow up IFB, you would be selfish not to go into full time ministry. So we talked about that in the call to preach episode and then the other really intense social pressures and that those pressures are usually enough to get most IFB kids to give in and go into the ministry. 
the expectation then is that these kids who have been pressured to go into the ministry go to Bible college and then they go to work in churches and then they go out and witness to community members. And then those community members who were not raised IFB join the church and tithe. And then that's who pay- pays the salaries of the IFB kids who went to Hiles Anderson and then now went to became ministry workers. Okay. Cause that was a question that I also had. Yeah. I think you had texted me about that and I was like, I'm going to get to it. <laughs> So, okay. So most importantly, though, I think that the, um, it means that the church members' kids will pay tuition at the Bible college. So like we talked about, if Jack Hiles walked up to you and said, I believe that you will be a pastor and save multitudes of souls, what he is really saying to you is, I believe that you will pay me $50,000 over a span of four years, and after that, you're going to be broke because you live off of tithe money and you won't be able to feed your wife and children. Yeah, but also, you know, many of the textbooks are from Hiles Publications. So $50,000. All right, he gets, you, he gets it two ways, burning oh, the yeah. candle at both ends. So he – So uh. $50,000 plus textbooks plus four years of free labor on the bus routes and free labor as ushers for pastor school and free labor as bus drivers and janitors and cafeteria workers and personal assistants and media and publications people for the church and so on and so on and so on. Four years of that. Hmm. Four years of absolutely milking you dry. Yeah. And then you get out and you're like, okay, and what do I do now? And then you get out yeah. and it's like, well, I guess you better find some people to pay tithe so that you can feed your wife and your 48 kids. That doesn't seem like that's a very good plan. Like that's not going to make you you're a lot right. of money. You're, no, yeah. you're right. This plan is not highly effective. Um, and this is why poverty is glorified within the IFB because pretty much most people end up very poor. And we're um, going to have an episode talking all about that pretty the soon. The glorification of poverty, yeah. Yeah. But like, do you have any idea? Because so the concept that Jack Hiles used to his own benefit is that you can get doctors and lawyers and, and people with like white collar salaries to attend an IFB church. But in real life, that's not how it really works out. Yeah, I can't imagine being a doctor and joining an IFB church. Well, right. They don't believe in science. You have to believe in science to be a doctor yeah. in most cases. I know one engineer who is IFB. I know one nurse uh, who was briefly IFB for a few years but got out. I do not know a single doctor or lawyer or college professor. There was that one lawyer. David Gibbs? I don't remember. Yeah, the guy with the, 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 guy, the bad fitted suits. Or the guy who was the guy that read the book and then Jack Scott stopped being friends with him. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, Voyle Glover. Yeah. And You're then right. he also, didn't he also write a book? Yes, Voyle Glover wrote the book Fundamental Seduction, um, which uh, we are going to get to read. I can't tell you more details than that right now, but I've got somebody who's going to loan it to us. Okay. Um, no, but like, yeah, there was one lawyer at First Baptist Church of Hammond and he got run off. But I mean, Jack Hiles, though, he had such a large congregation that statistically some of them had, you know, good jobs. But in the average IFB church, like there aren't doctors, lawyers, architects, st- structural engineers or computer programmers or 
like high paid IT guys or like a guy who works in the advertising industry. Like there aren't those people. They don't exist in the average IFB church. The best you can hope for is maybe somebody who has a really good military salary. So this brings me to something else because I had a question pop into my head since we recorded that episode. Okay, go for it. So you guys remember several months ago, we recorded an episode where we talked about Brianna Taylor. We talked about uh, this guy, Officer Jonathan Mattingly, who we found out was or is IFB. And he was one of the officers uh, who was involved in that. Uh, in in that call that that uh, was the the killing of Brianna Taylor, uh, he wasn't any of the he wasn't one of the people that like fired any shots or anything. He was just one of the people who went on that call. Um, but he and he is the only one who's come out and spoken publicly about what uh, they say happened that evening. What he says happened that evening. And his father uh, was a well known IFB pastor. But Officer Mattingly, obviously, because he's an officer, he did not go into the ministry. He went into law enforcement instead. But last week, you said that if you grew up IFB and you did not go into full-time ministry, that was seen as shameful. And specifically, if like your father is a well-known pastor, like how problematic would it be in the IFB if somebody who is the son of a well-known pastor did not go into the ministry? I am I'm really glad that you brought up Jonathan Mattingly because that was the next thing I was going to bring up anyway to answer the other half of that question. Yeah, because that seemed inconsistent to me. So I th- I figured we should address it. So in the Mattingly episode, we mentioned that he went to Hiles Anderson for one year. Um, this is a fact uh, that we were able to indef- independently confirm because we found his picture in the Hiles Anderson yearbook for that year. I mentioned in that episode how IFB kids are asked to go to HAC for one year, even if they don't plan on going into the ministry. And I think if you'll reconsider the things that I said about that in the light of what we talked about last week with being guilted into going to ministry to begin with, it might kind of all come together for you. So IFB kids are heavily guilt tripped to go into ministry. And it's pretty rare for someone to really put their foot down and say no. Even if someone like Jonathan Mattingly is dead set on having a career outside of ministry, like he really, really, really wanted to be a police officer. Even though he was dead set on it, I am 100% sure that he was heavily pressured to go to Hiles Anderson for just one year. Like I said in the Mattingly episode, this just one year thing has a couple of motivations. So first, they're really hoping that the kid will just get called to preach while he is at Hiles Anderson, and that he will just get called to preach and then decide on his own to stay there for four full years, decide to be a preacher, give up on this worldly ambition of being a police officer. If that doesn't happen, they're hoping, well, maybe he will find a girlfriend at Hiles Anderson, and then that girl will be told by her pastor to break up with him if he doesn't stay at Hiles Anderson. So maybe his feelings for her will motivate him to stay at HAC for another year after that first year. Because if the girlfriend, so if if he starts dating somebody freshman year and then he leaves Hiles Anderson to go back home and become a police officer or become a, whatever he wants to be, this person wants to be that's not in the ministry, 
if she doesn't break up with him when he leaves Hiles Anderson, she's going to be branded as rebellious and the rest of her time at Hiles Anderson is going to be really difficult for her. So she has a lot of pressure to break up with him if he doesn't come back to Hiles Anderson. And then like in the first example, they're hoping that their kid will stay at Hiles Anderson long enough that God will get through to him and call him to preach maybe in the second year when he's just there for his girlfriend. So if you get to be 17 years old and you haven't felt the call yet, is it seen like, okay, there's something wrong with you? It's not something wrong with you because when you say that, I get, I get, um, I get the vibe of like somebody who's like, oh, you're 17. You don't feel attracted to anybody yet. Is there something wrong with you? Like somebody who doesn't understand that like some people are asexual and that's like they just don't feel that or that some people just don't feel attraction as often or as early as other people do. It's not what's wrong with you like that. Excuse me. It's more of a perception that you're just holding out on God. They don't tend to assume that God is not speaking to you. The question is not, why isn't God speaking to you? The question is, why aren't you listening? Like, God must obviously be speaking to you. Why are you not listening? So what would have happened with someone like Mattingly is that he went to Hiles Anderson for that one year. He didn't get called to preach. He still wanted to go into law enforcement. So since he was now 19 and his dad or his church couldn't actually force him not to, he went ahead and did that thing. That was what he wanted to do. Okay. So maybe, okay, I don't, I don't know, because this is all speculative. But this, so this idea that he would resist going into the ministry because he wanted to go into law enforcement instead. In that episode, we talked about how, like, we assumed we knew certain things about this guy because he was raised in the IFB. But, like, the fact that he would have been willing to stand up to what was obviously extreme institutional pressure as a teenager, maybe that's something that reflects more positively on him. I don't know. Like, you would have to think that, like, standing up to institutional pressure would be something that would be good if you were in law enforcement and you were you know the guy who was trying to do things by the book and trying to do like you know trying to do things properly and trying to follow the right procedures every time i mean clearly we don't have all the facts here and clearly you know we're basing everything that we can't base anything that we know on something like this it's all super fuzzy super speculative maybe a little column a maybe a little column b people are complicated I don't know. That that just seemed interesting to me. Yeah. I mean, and I, I appreciate where you're coming from with that perspective. I think I still struggle with associating anyone who didn't get called, called a preacher, didn't go in the ministry. Um, I still associate them with a lot of negative stereotypes that I was told about them. Um, unless there's someone I know personally. Like if I knew the person and I, I understand their reasoning why they didn't want to go in the ministry, I don't feel that way. But But people that I didn't know – Like, I still assume some of these negative stereotypes, even about, like, this guy Mattingly, because he didn't go in the ministry. And you've never met him. The only thing that you know about him is what he's told us and what and what we've seen reported. And my logic brain, I understand that I do not know this guy. And I know that it is not true that there are negative things about him just because he didn't go in the ministry. 
And like, I understand that that people who didn't go into the ministry or didn't go to Hiles Anderson or another Bible college, the likely they're just people who weren't quite as brainwashed as I was. And that's actually a good thing that they weren't as brainwashed as I was. Maybe he was a little bit brainwashed, but not like fully brainwashed. Who that's knows? what I'm that's what I'm saying. He probably yeah. was. My point is that the brainwashing still makes me feel negatively towards those people, even though I logically know better. That's interesting, though, because like, say, I mean, the fact that, you know, you're out by now and the brainwashing still affects the way that you think. I mean, he's been out for many years. You got to wonder how much the brainwashing still uh, affects the way that he thinks. I mean, that's exactly the thing. I don't. I mean, we just don't know. We just don't know. I don't know of anybody who claims to be 100 percent done like over it i mean i might get i might get massacred by saying that i think that it would be very interesting to talk to him and see what his perspective on this stuff is just because of you know the monumental nature of the incident that he was involved in i would want to talk to him if he wanted to like really if he wanted to talk about how his upbringing affected his career um i think i would be okay with with talking to him because also you know he's he's uh an officer and he was a involved in this hugely contentious situation um, that sparked massive nationwide protests for good for, reason. I was gonna say for better say for good reason. For good reason, somebody because died that happened. did not need to die, and we have to do better. Yeah. Period. Yeah. So don't add um, us about that. Yeah. Don't. Don't. I mean, but I mean, this is exactly the sort of thing where people will say, oh, well, you want to talk to this person. You want to see what they actually have to say. So clearly you must agree with them. Clearly you're you're. Yeah, that's you yeah, know, that's, like that's I, BS. Uh, Breonna Taylor died for no reason and it was unjust and we must do better, period. Uh, However, I would like to know if the IFB had anything to do with this and if Officer Mattingly was going to be open with us about that. Um, I would be willing to have a conversation. And I'm sure that he wouldn't be able to be open. I'm sure that he wouldn't be able to be open with us about it because like he, you know, I'm sure that he would be because of the massive, you know, somebody died, a woman died and, you know, there would be massive legal implications about it if he had to speak about certain things about it. So I doubt that he would be able to legally have that conversation without putting himself, uh, you know, in the crosshairs right this is all a million percent hypothetical this is all 100 like i think that he i think that he would be a fascinating person to talk to because uh, i would like like you know just like you're a fascinating person to talk to with your upbringing i don't know we might get massacred on twitter for saying this but i honestly i i honestly believe it i i like this person whether or not you know i think that he's good or not you know that's irrelevant i think he's an interesting person to talk to 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 hear about this right well by the time um by the time this episode comes out people will have already heard the homework episode that we recorded um about uh paul simon and how yeah how feeling like you have to know the answer to everything or be right about everything is we don't need to we don't have to live under that kind of thing right and there's also the chance that like somebody could come on the show and just like lie through their teeth about a bunch of stuff and then yeah uh, we and then we would have to decide whether or not we believe it. So like, there's right. that too. Um, but anyway, that was a little bit of a digression. But does that, that was bring, a digression? So, so the picture, the whole picture is that uh, IFB children are encouraged to only go into the ministry. It's very difficult not to go into the ministry if you were raised IFB. Um, 
it is expected that you will go out and witness to people and bring people with good jobs into the church, which will then pay for your salary and pay for your church. It doesn't usually work that way. Most IFB preachers live in and IFB staff members live in a lot of poverty, um, except for people who run super big churches. And then often they have suspiciously large amounts of money and suspiciously nice cars. For it's their like a, a, it's a pyramid scheme, basically. Yes, exactly. Okay, so that makes perfect sense. But but like if you're an IFB kid, like if you want to do something that's not the ministry, you're going to have to kind of either like go join the military or fight your pastor for years to try to be able to go into the career that you actually want to go into. Or sell pyramid scheme or join an actual pyramid scheme. I don't know. Uh, there uh, so- is a reason that pyramid schemes do extremely well among Christians and we are going to get into that. Okay, so uh, one day we have time for one more question, I think. Um, okay. And this question is, where did you go to church when you were on vacation? Would any Baptist church have satisfied, satisfied the Sunday requirement? Are there any IFB churches a- around, say, like Disneyland? Would an IFB person ever go inside a place of worship from a different sect of Christianity or Catholicism or religion altogether? Would they ever go to uh, the cathedral at Notre Dame or something like that? Or if the religious space were a tourist site, what about pagan places such as Stonehenge or the Acropolis? So this is an awesome question. And this was from Joseph on Facebook who has awesome questions always. Yeah, my my friend Joey, I went to high school with him. He's a good guy. Hi, Joey from high school. No, he's done. He's done like really good. Uh, he he asks really good questions, and I appreciate that. Um, yeah. Just as a quality and a person in general. So, this one I'm going to have to answer in parts. Obviously, um, number one. To answer, where did we go to church when we were on vacation? Like, would any Baptist church be fulfill your requirement to go to church on Sunday? We can go back to something that Jack Hiles said that was widely practiced within the IFB churches that followed him. Um, You can find a lot of him talking about why people shouldn't go on vacation at all. But if you had to go on vacation, he encouraged people to go on vacation Monday through Saturday so they wouldn't miss a Sunday. Is going on vacation too expensive and then you'd have less money to give to church? I mean, I mean, I don't I don't know. I think that's probably the real motivation. (laughs) See, I think it was I think that's part of it. But I think it's more that if you went on vacation, you might rest and you make better decisions when you're not sleep deprived. I think that's what I would associate with this. Man. But he compared it to a soldier who like went AWOL off of the army base that they were supposed to be on. And then they checked in at a different army base. And they're like, hey, I'm not AWOL because I'm on an army base. Um, yeah, comparing his people to soldiers, which is like super on brand for Jack Hiles. <laughs> but soldiers that's how in the he culture war. Yeah. Okay, so basically, you it's you'd better not be filling the offering plate anywhere else but here. Oh God, no! So if you did miss a Sunday and you did go to another church, you were fully expected to save your tithe money and put it in the offering plate when you came back the next week. Wow, yeah. I mean that. I mean that is a contingency plan. Yeah. So if you were out of town on a Sunday, you were absolutely expected to go to church. Now there are. You know, in in these days, there are websites where you can find IFB churches in any given area, and it will tell you 
if they're King James Version only, it'll tell you where their pastor graduated from. You can find every dog whistling keyword to know that these are exactly your kind of IFB people. Back before the internet, though, before we had that resource, you would have to tell your pastor where you were going on vacation. And then if your pastor didn't already have a friend in that area, so if your pastor had a friend in that area, he'd tell you to go to that church. If he didn't have a friend in that area, he would call the alumni office of his college and then they would look up a church in that area where the pastor graduated from the same college as your pastor. And then your pastor would call up that pastor and say, hey, the Smith family from my church is going to be in your area on vacation. You'll see them Sunday. And then the pastor from the other church could tell on you to your pastor if you missed or if you like just came Sunday morning and skipped Sunday night. And then if there wasn't an approved King James Version IFB church in the area, you could always have a church service with your family in your hotel room. Like you could all sit around and sing hymns and then your dad could give a sermon. Um, And if there were not a church in the area for whatever reason, now there's generally an IFB church within 45 minutes of any place in the U.S. with the the exception of maybe Alaska, um, Montana, really rural areas. But if there weren't a church... You could have that church in your hotel room and you would be expected to do that little ritual Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, just like if you were in church at home. So this seems like a recipe for some interesting experiences. Aside from hotel room church, which <laughs> seems like, I mean, that could be like a, like a, a, a like a, you know, like a CD rock and roll song, like she gave me church in the hotel, like you know, like a like an eighties, like a hair metal song. I you know yeah, what I'm I cannot even get into. Where it was all like hair metal, <laughs> but like where they got the Jesus piece. Yeah. Oh man. But like you know, as like church is like a euphemism. So I mean, but this seems like a, a interesting experiences. Like so, like if you you could just look up some rando church. And the only thing that you would know about the pastor is that he, like, say, graduated from Hiles Anderson College. So you might end up at a very strange church service that is not at all what you are used to. Yeah, um, I have been to IFB churches all over the country, and it wouldn't surprise me. I don't know. I know I I would say over 25, less than 50, but I've been to a lot of churches. Um Nothing extremely weird comes to mind, but I'm sure that as soon as I drop this episode, my family group text is going to blow up with, don't you remember that one church? Um, So many IFB churches, though, they follow the Hiles Church Manual. So the order of service has a very familiar feel no matter where you are. At least you'd be able to kind of follow along. But like your, so your dad was a pastor, though. So like, was there ever a time when like on the car ride home from church, your dad has to turn to the kids and say, now kids, what you heard in church today is wrong and a bad interpretation for this reason. Oh yeah. Like theological stuff. I'm sure there were many times. I just don't remember specifics of that because I trust my dad. So if he had told me, oh, this is wrong and this is actually the correct way to to, to think of it, I would have just taken his word for it and not really thought about it any further. And honestly, I've been to so many churches and I've heard so many sermons that I don't even know if I'd remember uh, if I if that had happened, if he had had to correct something. Another thing is, though, that my dad uh, has a lot of friends around the country. 
so a lot of time, even if we were on vacation, it could still be that my dad asked the, the pastor of the local church asked my dad to be a guest preacher because he like knew my dad from college or whatever. So a lot of times it could be my dad preaching anyway, even though we were on vacation because pastors okay. never get a day off. It's really sad. Because like, so the IFB is so decentralized that there is like no overarching body like the Catholic church or like the Southern Baptist convention to determine what the doctrine is. So you could get some weird sermons in there. Right. Um, I think we were so used to believing that everybody else was wrong, that hearing one other person be wrong probably just didn't make much of an impression on me as a kid. <laughs> I think like I was so used to believing that everybody other than my church was wrong anyway that I just kind of like, oh, yeah, they're probably wrong too, whatever. Um, to answer the part, though, the second part of that question, would the IFB enter another house of worship? I think most of them would, with the exception of maybe a mosque. I don't think that many IFB would set foot inside a mosque for any reason. But my grandmother was Catholic, and we attended her funeral mass, and it was not a big deal. Um, there's no pro direct prohibition about entering another house of worship. People people go to other churches for weddings and funerals and, and that sort of thing, and there's no issue. So like um, Notre Dame, Westminster Abbey. No, that wouldn't be that wouldn't be a problem either because you're not going to service there. You're just going for tourism. I think IFBs would probably be discouraged from sitting through a mass or sitting through a service at Westminster because uh, they would be missing church at an IFB church. <laughs> so this, I think okay. I'd be discouraged, but there's not like a prohibition against it. But I mean, let's be real. If you're IFB, you don't have money to go to Europe anyway, so you're not no. going to have to worry about. <laughs> Yeah, all your money is going to go buy a new car for uh, one of Jack Howe's mistresses or oh. go to pay for fuel for Jack Scott's private plane. True. Yeah. But no, the same with um, Stonehenge or the Acropolis or even the Colosseum where Christians were killed. Uh, it wouldn't be seen as a big deal to to go to those places as long as like no pagan rituals were being done on the day of your visit. I'm sure it would be fine. Uh, I that. The IFBs would probably be told not to go to Stonehenge on solstice because you're going to see some things. Well, like, say you're in Jerusalem and you, you, so you're like, okay, well, let's go to all these Jewish holy sites. But then you would be highly discouraged from like looking, from like going to the Al Aqsa Mosque. Um, I think personally, thinking back to the person that I was before I left the IFB, I think I would have felt kind of freaked out. Um, by the idea of going to Dome of the Rock or going to a mosque, I think it would have just kind of made me feel creepy. Like I would have really? thought that, yeah, I would have had like a sense of like the evil hanging around me. I'm not aware of any reason that an IFP person would be prohibited, but I think the paranoia would have been enough to get a lot of people not to go. I think the psychosomatic, like I feel evil in the air would have probably gotten to most people and they would not go into a place like that. Yeah, like they just listened to an instrumental tape of Phantom of the Opera. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I just want to clarify one thing. So the Dome of the Rock is, it's not just a Muslim holy site. It is also a Jewish holy site. But due to the fact that it is located within the Muslim quarter of the old city, uh, Jews can't pray or like do any religious activities there. So, I mean, I've seen the Al-Aqsa Mosque with my own eyes. And while it no holds no like significance to me religiously, I mean, it is a 
beautiful, beautiful site. It is a, amazing to behold. Absolutely recommend seeing those sites in person. Yeah. Uh, there is a Bible verse that kind of popped into my head. Uh, there's a verse about shaking the dust off your feet when you exit a hostile territory or a place that's hostile to Christianity. Some IFBs will take that verse literally. So I've seen people who will actually tap their shoes on the ground when they're leaving someplace that they deem to be hostile. Like, I don't know, Starbucks when they're giving out Christmas cups that don't have Jesus written all over them. <laughs> So I can definitely imagine certain IFB people that I know going to those sites, like go ahead and visit the whatever, and then stopping on the doorstep to tap their shoes on the ground before they leave. That is too funny. I I can't say for sure, but I have seen people do that. So that's kind of what I imagined. It's demonic in there. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I don't know. That That is too funny. Like the level of superstition. Um, yeah. So uh, d- anything else to say? I think that answers that question, um, which is sadly the last question that we are answering today. Oh, um, can we do like a, like a really, really short one? Yeah. Okay. What's the last one that we want to do? Okay. We have one more question to ask. Somebody in the Facebook group, it has just came in to the Facebook group, I think today. Um, somebody in the Facebook group. Oh, wanted- I haven't seen this yet. Oh, somebody wanted to know how I met my husband. And I wanted to answer that really quick. I, um, after I got out of the IFB, I moved to Portland with my ex. And uh, I was living in Portland for a while. I had split with my ex and I had moved into uh, an apartment building in Portland. And I met my husband because we were living in the same apartment building. He was raised in church, but not strict. Nothing like the way I was raised. And... When my husband and I, my husband Jonathan and I started dating, um, I was still having a lot of panic attacks related to my PTSD. Um, one time I had I had a flashback and I thought that I was in my dormitory at one of the cult colleges that I went to. And I thought that he was a boy who I had snuck into my dormitory. <laughs> That's terrifying. So I I know it was like I was still having very real flashbacks when my husband and I got together several years ago. Um, And And that's like two and a half years ago, right? uh, About three three years ago. Three years now. (laughs) See, that just goes to show how recent all of this stuff is for her. Yeah, I was still having like and I I haven't had a a super realistic flashback in a while. Knock on wood. But um, not even with the pregnancy and everything where you're, you know, the brain chemistry is going all over the place. Like I do have flashbacks, but I haven't had one where I thought I was in another place at another time in quite a while. And that is a, a very big blessing. And I'm thankful for having that kind of healing and growth. And that really goes to show how kind of how how far you've come, you know. And for all the people listening who are still dealing with that, you know, you you can still like you You'll can get to, get to, to that point. Of, yeah. And and um best wishes for being able to get to a point where you're laughing at it the way that I am. I hope that you're able to get to that point too. But no, so I made my husband put on a hoodie and like snuck him out of our apartment that we lived in together (laughs) because I thought I had a legitimate flashback and I thought I was in my dorm at a cult college and that I had snuck a boy into my dorm. Um, So is that the type of thing that you would do at your cult college? 
No, I was a good kid at my Colt College, but not even not even with the side hug. Not nope, nope. That was you, you no. Snuck I a was, boy into your dorm room and you were side hugging him, I and then they found out. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was like really freaked out. So anyway, um, when I when I started that, just a story to illustrate when I started dating my husband, I was still in a really rough place, um, with healing, and he was so there for me. Uh, and he is such a my husband um is he's like the strong silent type which is good because i talk a lot <laughs> and it's nice because you know uh, he doesn't talk so much and i get a platform but um he, jo- jokes he's aside he's a funny he's, guy though he's very funny but he's he's very stable he's very predictable he's a stabilizing influence in my life and um he does not understand all of the stuff that I that I have gone through coming out of a cult, but he is understanding and he is always kind to me. And I have really I've gotten a lot more mentally healthy since being with him because he takes really good care of me. Well, that's a nice way for us to end this episode. Isn't yeah, I it? thought I thought it would be. It's like it's a very it's a very positive story. I'm very lucky uh, that I met him and I'm I'm very I love him. And I know that like a lot of people, yeah, a lot of people in this show, uh, in, in our audience who are former members, a lot of them ended up with somebody who was raised in that group or raised in a similar group. And so they have similar experiences uh, or they met somebody and then they decided to leave together. Uh, so that mm-hmm. is a common experience that we that we hear about, you know, when our listeners write into us and tell us their stories. Uh which we love it when you guys do, but you know, sometimes you just beat somebody who's just somewhere and some somewhere different from you. Right. And I think that um, my, my relationship with him has specifically taught me, uh, my husband and I kind of semi famously eloped after not having been together very long, but Hey, we're going strong, having a kid and we're very happy. I think our relationship and the, the, the way that it played out and the way that we got together very much taught me that uh, it it exposed to me that I was judging other people for their types of relationships that they got into. Uh, I was judging people who I thought got married too fast. And I was judging people who I thought waited too long to get married. Uh, I was, I I was uh, judging a lot more than I thought I was. And my relationship with Jonathan has kind of exposed that to me. And made me a much less judgmental person because I realized that that relationships come in different shapes and sizes and different timelines and that I don't know what's right for somebody else. So I need to stay out of other people's business. <laughs> well, that is a marvelous sentiment to end on um, if there ever was one. And uh, yeah, so we're just going to finish this up. We will be back next week. Remember, there is no homework episode because of we're giving Sadie some maternity leave. So there is no homework episode that that's going to happen. Um, and you can follow the podcast on social media. It is going to be leaving Eden podcast on Facebook and Instagram at leaving Eden pod on Twitter. Send us your questions, send us, uh, you know, anything that you might want to say to us, uh, on email or DM us, send us a message on social media. Uh, but the email that you'll want to send us is, um, leaving eden pod at gmail.com which uh you send us a message and we uh you send us a question we might read it on an episode like this sadie if you want to plug your social media 
yeah, you can follow me on Instagram at Sadie Carpenter Music or on Twitter at Helia Sadie. I yeah, did it right. Good job, man. You did do it right. And you're on TikTok at Sadie Carpenter One. Thank you. Oh, and you can follow the podcast on TikTok as well at Leaving Eden Podcast. And Sadie is also on Clubhouse. And I am on Clubhouse. We are both on Clubhouse because we're cool kids and we got Clubhouse invites. And you can follow her on Clubhouse at Hell Yeah Sadie. You can follow me on Club yet Clubhouse at the same handle you can follow me everywhere else at g-a-v-r-i-e-l-h-a-c-o-h-e-n and if you want to listen to the song that is playing right now you can go and stream it or download it or buy it um digitally uh you go to my page uh it's the same name as everywhere else you can find a link to it on my social media um you can download it you can stream it and all the proceeds from that are going to go to the show and uh we hope you guys have a great day Bye-bye. Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.